Thank you guys so much. Um, two weeks from today, we will start a series uh, from the Gospel of John. The Gospel makes a pretty audacious claim, which would be very audacious, except for the fact it's the Word of God. So audacity is not really audacity, because what God says goes. But in there it says that everything that was written in just that gospel was written that you may believe and by believing have life in his name. There's enough in the gospel of John for somebody to come into a relationship with God and learn how to live. And so that's something we're going to be exploring. And I really want to make it something that visitors can come and start thinking about Jesus. There are a lot of wild ideas out there about him. And most of the time we end up just, you know, he's a great religious figure, a great teacher. But he came to teach us how to live. Not only forgive us of our sins, but how to live. Regardless of your career, regardless of your situation, regardless of your past. He came to teach us how to live. So... Two weeks from today, 26, we'll start that series. Be inviting your friends. We're going to get some invitations printed up. And so for the next uh, four or five weeks, we'll have the different uh, themes that we will be addressing, something you can give to people at work. How many people here like story? (coughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who doesn't like a story? We all like to be taken for a ride in our imagination, right? And especially the more the story grabs us and kind of wraps us, it's like, man, we love that. I don't know if what your practice was growing up, I don't know if your parents did this, but my parents sometimes would tell me stories when I was going to sleep. Dad, Mom, tell me a story. And I would love these bedtime stories, you know, invariably my dad would tell me about his experiences in the Second World War. Uh, Mom would think of something less militaristic, you know, and and tell me something there. But it was a great, as a kid, I loved those bedtime stories. Well, I want us to read a story, and it's in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And I want you to listen to this story. Starting in verse 1, the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, here's the story, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who would come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. That's a bad guy, isn't it? How exploitive. How unjust. I mean, I don't know how you're feeling, but when you read a story like that, it's just, that is not right. 
justice needs to be done. Well, you're going to see that somebody else gets caught up in the story too because Nathan told the story to David and look at David's response to this. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. David is right on the money. This is not your typical bedtime story, is it? Not your typical bedtime story. David's thinking of this injustice. David's thinking of what it was like to be that poor man and to lose this thing he cherished. David's involved in this, and so he just goes, you know what, this guy deserves to die. He ought to pay back four times all of that. And then Nathan says, verse 7, Then Nathan, Nathan said to David, You are the man. Yeah, it's not you, the man. It's like you are the man. You are the one that should die. You are the one that should pay four times over this. Now, you know what? Now stop and think about this. David is incensed. David is right. He's, you know, angry and rightly so. And then all of a sudden it turns out that he's the guilty party. Yep. How in the world does a disconnect like that happen? How do you miss that? You know, when we think of a bad person, we always think of a hard-hearted, this person doesn't care about anything. David cared. He had a conscience. But see, something had happened. Over nine months before, David, and you can read about this in chapter 11. We won't read that. I'll just uh, uh, summarize it. David was on his rooftop. It was the time when kings should be at war. David's a king. He's not doing what he ought to do. He's not being out there with his men, leading them. No, he's back in Jerusalem, chilling. He's on a roof. He happens to look over. There is a woman bathing. Beautiful woman. David could have, you know, the first look is forgivable. Oh, my gosh. Second look is damnable. And David looked, and he goes, you know what? I want her. God himself had raised David up to be king. God himself, even though he had told his people, you shouldn't want a king. Don't want a king. Bad things can happen with kings. But the people go, we want one. We want one. We want to be like everyone else. So God said, okay, I'll let you have a king. And so God selected Saul. Saul, sin. So God said, I'm going to give you someone that's after my own heart. And that was David. From a shepherd boy, David's king, and God gave him all of the authority of a king. And so when Bathsheba is summoned, she has no choice. She goes to the king. And as it turns out, he sleeps with her. He gets what he wanted. He does it. Her husband is out fighting battles that David should have been fighting. David should have been leading him. Uriah the Hittite, he's out there risking his life for Israel. 
and David sleeps with his wife. Personal opinion, I think David exerted all of his authority and power, and there wasn't a whole lot Bathsheba could do about it. He had the power of life and death. He does that, so, hey, he kind of sends her on home. She comes back. I'm pregnant. First of all, David should have come clean and repented and all of that. No, but now she's pregnant. So what do you do? Now you're going to get caught. Just open up, repent. No. What I'm going to do is I'm going to lie. I'm going to lie. And so he has Uriah brought back home from the front. And he knows, well, look, the husband's going to be home. He's been away from his wife. Obviously, they'll get together. They'll have sex and everything will be good. And then she's pregnant and it was Uriah's child. Good, good, good. I got it planned. I'm going to escape. But Uriah had a million times more integrity than David. Uriah slept at the doorpost, would not go into his wife as would be normal, as was his right. And all. No, because he thought, how can I go and enjoy the comforts of home while my brothers are out there in battle? I will not do that. And so David's, David's up against integrity here. What am I going to do? I'm a lying, lustful, conniving, abusive person at this point. And here's a man I can't deal with. How, what am I going to do? So he comes up with a plan. I'm going to tell the, the general, put Uriah in the toughest part of the battle and have all of the men retreat. And it worked. And Uriah dies. Unbeknownst to him, he died thinking he's fighting for the glory of Israel and all of this. He did not know he was a pawn that was being disposed of by a king that had lost it. But here's the kicker. The baby goes for nine months. <coughs> There's no accountability. Nothing's happened. Sometimes a person does something like, well, nothing bad happened. I guess it's okay. See, nothing happens for nine months. In fact, it gets to the point because David, he finally is going to man up, right? He marries. He brings Bathsheba in. Sorry your husband died, but this will cover us. He's now, she's now his wife. Everything's great. They have a child. It's wonderful. And then the bedtime story comes. Because God did not forget. And so Nathan says, you, um, you know what, David? You are the man. Here's what I want us to think about. How does this happen? I would love to be able to tell everyone here, isn't it good to read this story? Because it doesn't apply to me at all. <laughs> I just love looking at a third person. This is me. This is you. What is it? It's the power of self-deception. Do you know what being deceived means? It means sincerely believing something that's not true. Daniel's a motorcycle connoisseur. If Daniel comes up to me and says, Sheridan, I got a motorcycle I want to sell you. Now, it's a mess. There's a lot of work needed. It's a mess. I get on it and I buy it. I'm not deceived. It's a mess. He told me. But what if he comes up, Sheridan, I got this amazing motorcycle. Give me $1,000. You're going to be some. And I give him $1,000. And as I'm going down the street, the wheels fall off and everything comes apart. I sincerely believe something that was 
not true. All of the sincerity in the world, in my heart, will not change the truth. See, that's what it means to be deceived. If you know the truth, you're not deceived. You know what's coming, right? But if you sincerely believe it, you are deceived. And that's what happened to David. He's going on. Life's great. Everything's in the past. I'm going to be a different person. I'm a new person. You are the man. And he had to wake up. How do we get deceived? I want to look at three passages real quick in the New Testament that show us what happened. In James chapter 1. And in each of these three passages, it says, do not be deceived. So I'm going to use different verbiage. I'm going to say, do not sincerely believe something that's not true. Okay? Just so we understand. This is what we're talking about. Do not sincerely believe something that is not true. Verse 19, James 1. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so sincerely believe something that is not true about yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. I have a friend of mine whose mom went to seminary. She married one of the professors there. All right? This was her second second marriage, married him. She was learning about God and all of this, becoming filled with knowledge. She married him, and right after she married him, he said, we're going to have an open marriage. What that means, you can sleep with anyone you want, and I'm going to be sleeping with anyone I want. Now, she had sincerely believed something that was not true, but here it goes on. This individual would go speak at different places and speak about Jesus and about the Bible and about all of this stuff. And she goes, why do you even do that? He goes, I don't believe it, but it's what they want. Don't deceive yourself. I don't want to deceive myself. I don't want to become knowledgeable about the Word of God and not do it. It was not written so that Sheridan would know things. It was written that I would live and do it. Every person that does it. You know what? I expect you, when I'm preaching the Word of God, for you to look for something to put into practice from the Word of God. I expect it. Not because I'm good preaching. Not because... I, I expect that from Kayim. He gets up here and does that. And men and women that get up and read something from the Word of God. 
You know, when Sarah was talking about the way down, she read something. Boy, I expect you to be looking. How? What can I do, God? It's from Him. We put it into practice. If you don't put it into practice, you are sincerely believing something that is not true. And that is that knowledge will get you where you need to be. You're wrong. You are the man. You are the woman. Don't do that. You know why God puts us in here? So that we don't do it. God doesn't like saying, that's wrong or you're the man. God wished he, this story never had to be told. He wished that he could have sent Nathan to David and said, David, you're doing awesome. You're praising God. Families are growing around you. You're really big. That's the story he wanted, but he couldn't do it. Because David believed things that just weren't true about himself. Secondly, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Starting there in verse 9. Paul is trying to, you know, Corinthian church, they've, they've just pretty well become worldly all over. And so Paul's trying to call them back to the life of redemption. God loves the world. We love the world. We're all, we all lived in the world all the time. We're in the world, but not of the world. We care about people. But we don't adopt the same values and standards that the world does. That's what we were redeemed from. Paul says... Verse 9, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not sincerely believe something that is not true. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. You can sincerely believe that any of this, you just... Give yourself to this, that you'll inherit the kingdom of God. You can sincerely believe it. You're wrong. You're deceived. This is the part that I love here. Verse 11. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Some of you that are visiting, you think you have messed up. You cannot change. There is no forgiveness. That's just not true. When you read through this list, these will not inherit the kingdom of God. This list is all of us. <laughs> this is where we all came from. That's why we have no right to look down on anybody. You know, a beggar that someone gives food to doesn't turn around and say, aren't I great? I got food. He was a beggar. I look at people that are living like this. That's me. And if it weren't for God, I'd be right there too. I got washed. I got to Guess what? They can too. It's not exclusive. It's not elite. Anybody can be forgiven. But let us not sincerely believe something that is wrong. We let these things into our life. And what do we say? Well, I'm weak. We tell half-truths to ourselves. That's how you do it. I'm weak. We're all sinners. I can't help it. There's a, that's a half-truth. Yes, you are weak. Yes, we're all sinners. Yes, it can be so powerful you can't help it. But finish the statement. I'm weak. Therefore, God has provided a way for me to be strong. That's what I need to take. We're all sinners. Therefore, God has offered salvation to everyone who repents, is baptized, and follows Christ. 
I can't help it. Therefore, God has given the power of his Holy Spirit to break the bondage of sin within us. There is no excuse. There's no rationale. Do not sincerely believe something that's not true. It'll work out. You may go months before you feel the effects of something. David did. But God always remembers. You know, the last thing God wants to do is have us be frustrated and hopeless and despairing. And if you live these things in your life, all you can do is talk about God, but you have no experience. The power is not there. The Holy Spirit has been quenched. And so the best you can do is come to church and it doesn't do a thing for you. You hear the power of God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And pretty soon God gets put in the same category as Santa Claus. And our lives begin to reflect it. Don't sincerely. Any of these things, immorality, outside of God's sexual plan, idolatry, a swindler, well, you don't know my job. I have to lie. You need to get another job. Yep. No, I've, I've had people say that to me. Well, what do I got? I'll be, I'll be jobless. Good. At least your soul will be intact and you won't deceive yourself or take a stand. You know what? I can't help it. My language is bad. You know what? I worked as an iron worker. Their language was really atrocious about everything. I didn't use that language. And it's not because I'm great shakes. I just knew you don't compromise. If they don't like it, I would ask them when they're talking to me. Sheridan, will you pick up that blanking thing there? I'd say, you know what? Do me a favor. I respect you. I don't want to control your life. I don't want to tell you how to live. So when you're talking to me, can you, can you have some respect there? That there's certain things like that? Someone uses a racial term in front of me, I'll ask him, hey, look, I don't, I want you to respect that that's offensive to me. Now, when they would drop, you know, a ton of uh, rebar on their foot and they would just let it fly. One time this guy did that and he goes, Sheridan, man, oh, he's going around, he's just going nuts. He looks around, look, I'm sorry. I go, don't, don't apologize. You do what you got to do, all right? I'm not here to be the language police. So what you say and all that, that's your deal. Knock it. But when you're talking to me, hey, Sheridan, blankety blank, blue, blue, blank, blank. No, 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 no. Have some respect. I've heard people say they can't help their language. What a bunch of hogwash. Sincerely believing something that's just not true. There's no place for that. There's no place for racial jokes. There's no place for condescending. There's no place for gossip and slander. There's no place. No place at all. Not weakness, not whatever. No place. If you're weak, you can't do it. Who have you talked to to get help? Who has taught you how to obey the word of God to avoid that? Well, no one. Therein is the problem. You're sincerely believing something's not true, and that is that that's okay. Then the other passage is in Galatians. Galatians. Galatians 6. Galatians 6. 
and verse 7. Do not sincerely believe something that is not true. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please the sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. God is not mocked. He never has. David, I don't know if David thought he could, but it's just a matter of time. He is not mocked. Do not think that there are not consequences in this life and the life to come. Don't sincerely believe that. No one. As well as, do not think that there are not good consequences for when you sow to the Spirit. Don't think that your, your obedience, don't think that your reading, your praying, your encouraging, your loving, and all that is ever in vain. Nobody responds. I feel alone. Don't you worry. It is not in vain. Because what you have sown to, you will reap eternal life. And that starts right now. It starts in character transformation. Just like sin distorts our character and makes it more difficult, Righteousness builds our character. So don't be deceived. Don't think that your actions have no consequence. They do. They do. So we end up not doing the word of God, just listening to it. We end up rationalizing all sorts of behaviors, and we end up thinking there are no consequences. We end up sincerely believing things that aren't true. And we get ourselves in a mess, right? So how do we avoid this? Look over at Psalm 51. We'll close out here. How do you avoid that? If you were to keep on reading um, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, Nathan, after he says, you are the man, he talks about what's going to happen. And David's response is, I have sinned against the Lord. I want you to stop and think about that. David's king. David could have said, because this happened to other prophets in the Old Testament, lop his head off. How dare him upset me like that? How dare? But it was true. So the, the first step of all is you've got to be willing to hear the truth. If you're not willing to hear the truth, there's no hope for you. There was no hope for me until I was willing to hear the truth. You know, before I could, I'm sorry, that's my phone. Before I could decide, look, I want to change, you got to first know where you are. You can't change anything unless you know where you are, right? Where are you? Then that's step one. And that takes honesty. In, in Psalm 51. This is David's response to being confronted with the sin of murder, adultery, lying, the whole nine yards. Verse 1, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. 
Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifice of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure make Zion prosper, Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. When God told Saul he's going to get another king in 1 Samuel 13, he said, I picked a man after my own heart. This man after God's own heart does several things just beyond imagination. How in the world could you do this? Well, very easy, the same way we do. Self-deception. But in Acts 13, they talk about David, the man after God's own heart. The vision would he be a man after God's own heart? He became the very antithesis of everything in God's own heart, but then he's restored to being the man after God's own heart. How? Read Psalm 51. You've got to be wide open. You've got to want God to look at you. You've got to realize that the only sacrifice that's really acceptable is a broken and contrite spirit. You know what that means? Here am I, Lord. Here I am. David's not hiding anything. He goes against you and you alone if I sin. That's where it all started. That's where it all started was that breach with God that led to all this other junk and collateral damage. He couldn't put the pieces back together, but God could forgive him and help him be who he needed to be. Humility. Humility. I told the Edge Ministry, you know what humility is? It's embracing God's truth. I said about yourself. I want to edit that. It's embracing God's truth about everything. About God, about yourself, about others. It's accepting his truth, not your own made-up truth. We belong to God. If you're not a Christian in here, then you can belong to God. You may think, oh, look at all the stuff I've done. Don't worry about that. That stuff can be forgiven. David's forgiven. I mean, that's what Jesus came. He came to forgive 
But he did more than that. He came to teach us to live. That's why he says, follow me. There is no forgiveness without following. There is no forgiveness without life. Now, we can sincerely believe that, but it's just not true. We end up deceiving ourselves. We can memorize scripture, but until we do the scripture, it's no good. Notice David's attitude. There's no holding back. There's nothing. When you read Psalm 51, this guy just wants to praise God. He wants to be part of it. He's here. He's, there's nothing holding him back. How hesitant am I? And then ask, why? Why am I hesitant? God's given us everything we need for life and godliness. Let's make sure that we're believing what he has really said and that we are not believing something that isn't true. The word is a light unto our feet. Let's follow that. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we get to be with you. Father, I think about times in my life when I've just deceived myself. I've sincerely believed things that just aren't true. And I'm so grateful that that is not the will you have for my life or for any of our lives. That, Father, your truth will set us free. I know at times we're afraid. What does that mean? What is the cost? But, Father, when we think about who you are, I pray we first accept the truth about you. That you are gracious and kind and loving. And how David... When he just embraced the truth, he knew he could go to you that your love, your forgiveness would be deeper than his sin. Help us to be that way, Father. Help us to not be afraid. Father, I also just pray right now as we confess our sins to you that we will get help. God, for those that are not yet Christians here, I pray that their heart will be open to the message of Jesus their heart will be open to the fact that you are the creator of all and that the end will come at some point. But Father, help us to enjoy life now as well as into eternity. Thank you, Father. We love you. We're so grateful to belong to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. Singers will come and lead us a closing prayer. And then please go get your kids. Oh.